Welcome to the Threes Company Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Rowe, Superintendent at Henning Public Schools. On this podcast, we interview T.L. Banks, football coach and math teacher, Chris Four, assistant principal, and Jennifer Quatrucci, second grade teacher. This is a jam-packed episode that has many great stories and a lot of great examples of leadership. We hope you enjoy this podcast. If you do, make sure you like and subscribe it. We also recommend that if you have any questions, you can hit us up on the Anchor voicemail. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's go. We're joined by our first guest here on the Threes Company Leadership Podcast, T.L. Banks. He is a football coach and educator and an all-around good guy, and I've gotten to know him through social media, so we're excited to have him here on the podcast uh, today. So, T.L., why don't you give us a little bit about your path on how you became a coach and an educator? Um, well, I went to school to do uh, computer science and mathematics. I was going to be a computer scientist because, you know, that's what made a ton of money, right? Um, I had previously thought about being an educator, but I'm not going to be an educator because, you know, money was the thing that we all think is the most important thing ever. And so in my last year of getting my dual degrees, I had the chance to be a volunteer coach at my younger brother's high school his senior year. And I absolutely loved the time coaching and being around kids. And I happened to have a conversation with my former elementary school physical education teacher. And he told me purpose, purpose, and purpose is the most important thing in life. Um, being Finding a purpose, being passionate about something is great. And then once you find your purpose... And to pick that because that would guide me. And so lo and behold, started becoming a computer scientist. And um, I turned down those opportunities and became a mathematics teacher. And my very first year, I was an assistant football coach and a head track coach. Um, And that was 14 years ago. And getting ready to go into year number 14, and I have learned so much. I apologize if there's any child that I was responsible for 14, 13 years ago. I apologize for screwing you up as a coach then because I know so much more now as it comes to dealing and leading with children. And so this will be my seventh year as a head football coach and my first year at a new school. So I am excited And that's kind of my journey in coaching and education to where I am today. Yeah. And that is the, that's the name of the game. And I'm glad you found that great purpose and you're a good guy. And I got to ask you, do you rock the bow tie every day at school? I do not. Um, I am a very um, moody, emotional person. So um, I can be up and down. Some days I feel like got to have a bow tie. Some days I'm like, eh, polo shirt will do. Um, probably in the perfect world. Um, I, I do love bow ties more than ties because I feel like the bow tie gives you more freedom. And I feel like ties can sometimes get in your way. So I would probably say during the week I'm probably shirt and tie in three days and then you know dress down polo when i say dress down a polo shirt and khakis probably about twice 
twice a week. So it's kind of half and half that balance. So not every day, but some days you wake up and you're feeling it and you go for it. Yeah, I haven't gone bow tie. I'm a tie every day guy, suit every day guy, but but I, I like it. It looks sharp though when you got the bow tie going. So you can you pull it off well. So how about uh, we talk about some people that maybe uh, had that impact on you and helped guide you uh, to kind of be the mentor that you are today? Um, well, you know, being an educator, you start with education. Um, you know, I say one of the, the greatest things that I did have in my life is I did have my father. He was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. So I think that's important. I was raised by my father. My father's still living. But you talk about those mentors, my high school my high school mentor, teacher, calculus teacher is a guy who I've looked up to pretty much my whole life. He's not a coach at all, but he was a math teacher, much like myself. He's one of the reasons why I love mathematics. He is a bow tie guy every day. Like, uh, you know how a lot of teachers, we love our Fridays. We can dress down a tad bit. He's probably wearing a bow tie on Fridays. Um, or if Fridays, his jeans is okay in your school. He's probably still got on slacks. But he was a huge influence on me. He was uh, once teacher of the year in our district three different times, up for teacher of the year twice for the state, um, finished runner up twice. But he, he he was a big influence on me, how I dress, how I teach those relationships. And I think that was, he was an important piece. I've tried to emulate him in a lot of ways and the subject I teach, the way I dress, I emulated him in college with the fraternity that I joined. So um, he was one person that sticks out very heavily in how I got to my influence today. Well, that's good. It sounds like a good uh, leader, and I like that. Yeah, dressing sharp every day. I say if you want to be a professional, you got to dress like a professional. So those are always the, the big keys right there. So that sounds good, how you got it all into mathematics and, and push you that way. So that's awesome. I like that. Um, how do you monitor the performance of, your students in the classroom in math, and then also the players that you coach. How do you you know that you're leading them correctly? <laughs> uh, good question. I think, um, you know, as far as monitoring them, I, I think I've had good assistance. And one of the um, things that I know you will talk about this probably later on, one of the th- lessons that I've learned is, is that you can delegate. First of all, you need to delegate. First of all, A, you need to delegate as a, as a head coach. You need to delegate. And number two, what you delegate is the authority. You have to empower your assistants to have authority. That's number two. But then number three is understanding that you are still ultimately responsible for what happens. So you can delegate authority, but you are always responsible. Delegate authority, but you can never delegate responsibility. So with my players, I'm able to delegate that authority to my assistant coaches. I do have a coach who is in charge of academics. That is his thing. When it comes to giving out extra duties, that is something that's very important to me. So I have one coach that is in charge of academics. He'll take up grade sheets, depending on your grade, the grades that you make, we monitor you based on that. And then once he gets it, he gives me a report. Furthermore, what I have is each coach is assigned a family, a point of contact to a a kid. And I try not to make it their position coach because I want them to have two coaches at least that they can feel like they can always go to. Of course, for me, that makes a third, but at least two more that they talk to on a daily basis. If there's an issue with a grade, 
He brings it to me, that list. I go further in the delegation by saying, hey, coach, you've got Mike Rowe. He, he's, he's on your family. Coach Grant just brought it to me. He shows me where he is. Out of the eight classes he takes, he's fell in two. He's got, you know, 45. And you talk to these teachers about the remediation plan and get it back to him so he can add it in the spreadsheet. If it's something that's major, bring it to me, and then I'll deal with it. And so you have to set that example. You have to delegate that responsibility in that manner. And, you know, as a head coach, you have to understand that you can't do it all. And that comes from having good assistance. So that's the main way that I'm able to monitor my um my players with my own students is you know constant contact with parents technology whether it's remind one-on-one email etc whatever the best medium is to to meet the parent yeah no and what you're saying is so true that doesn't matter in leadership in general if you delegate and you give them the authority so that they feel like i don't i'm not being micromanaged like yeah i can do a duty but then i still have to come to you for approval you know what I mean? You're giving a, you're giving them that power. And so that's why, you know, they're buying in and doing those things. And that, that works anywhere. It doesn't matter what world you work in, in leadership. So I love that response there, Coach Banks. That's awesome. Um, what's a mistake that you maybe witness leaders make more frequently than others? Like, you know, you're around, there's, you know, administration, there's other coaches you're around. What have you seen maybe that you go, yeah, that, that kind of needs to stop? Um, one of the biggest things that I think that um, leaders I kind uh, make well, I think the biggest thing is we forget that everything is about moving people forward, and in this result business, you have to start with love and gratitude. I don't think we take for granted the hard work of people, and I think you know sometimes you get people that come in, and you know being a second. This being my second head coaching job, for example, that I'm dealing with in my first year, I know that it's things for me to clean up. But you have to be make sure that while you're cleaning up those things, that you show appreciation and gratitude for the ones who are doing everything that you need to do the right way. Or what I think people don't understand is the good people will get swept in the trash as well. So if your goal is to change a culture or continue to build in culture, and you know, you've got to maybe change people or get positions. So you, you spend a lot of time dealing with those people. You can't neglect it. I think, for example, one thing that I think that happens in head coaches happens in principals and leaderships and even with superintendents on down is we get so caught up in the people who aren't performing well that we forget the ones who are performing well. And here's what is true about performance. A, um, it is easier to move somebody from the middle to the top than it is from the bottom to the middle. And so we have to understand that if we go straight to the bottom and neglect everybody else, then they're going to sink back down. So as you're raising everybody else's performance, those people will have to do one or two things. Do it the way that we're doing it, or trust me, they will dismiss themselves. And I think that's the number one thing that leaders make. I think they neglect those who are doing it right. And just by showing them gratitude and love, those two things can fix a lot of issues for leaders. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that's probably the two biggest factors, right? You you show love to those, but we do, it, it happens in the classroom. You see it all the time. Like you focus your energy on the ones not doing it right, where, you know, you end up neglecting the ones that are doing it right every day and just 
easy correction, you know, point out those ones and then everyone else follows, right? Cream rises to the top. So um, in your organization, um, what is your mission, your core value, your vision that you um, are trying to do? And this is a great question because obviously, you know, you're starting at a new school and you're the new head coach there. So what are some of the things that you're doing to kind of uh, create that mission core and, and your vision? Well, I tell my kids every day that I love them. And when I, the first time I did it, they kind of looked at me. And I said, guys, I don't expect you to say it back to me today. I think at some point you will, but I want you to understand that while you did not select me to be your head coach, I selected the opportunity to come to this school. And I came to love on you. And by loving on you, then that will be the best thing I can do for our program. Because how many times have we heard the old saying, we know it to be true, is that kids do not care how much you know until they know that you care. So really and truthfully, if I want to get this kid to run through a wall for me, if I want him to block his hardest on zone read, even if he's out, you know, outsized by a kid, what's going to make him do it? Well, I love coaching. I want to give him my best. I don't want to let him down that's when we can get something out of team. So, I, you know, we, we revolve around two rules. Um, number one is coaches must love players. And then number two is we must teach players to love each other. If we do those two things, if we do those two things in my program, everything takes care of itself. When kids feel like their coaches care about them, they will give their best in performance. And when kids are in that foxhole, with people they love. And, I, and maybe that's not a great term. I don't want to make this because it's not about militaries, but being in the foxhole, being in something together with somebody. When they're together, and I love that guy to my right and to my left, I'm going to give everything I got because I cannot afford to let him down. And that's the feeling that we want kids to have, that I will not let you down. I will give you everything because I absolutely love you. And so I think that's, that's ultimately, that's at the core what drives us um our mission as coaches is to be transformational well how do you be transformational well you become transformational when you love kids when you love kids you become transformational and when you do that everything takes care of itself so our vision is to have the best football program in the state of georgia how are we going to do that is it just going to be about winning the championship no because there are 800 schools almost it seems like and only eight state championships we're going to have the best program because we're going to play great and because kids are going to genuinely want to be in our program. How do we do that? Love them and have them love each other. And then we will change their lives. Yeah. So wise right there. That's the most important thing because even if you do win the state championship, you're one of eight, even when that's done, you know what I mean? Like, so like if you're doing everything the right way, keep building on that. And that way you get those baby steps to where you want to be. Um, how do you help maybe a new player or an employee understand the culture of what uh, the organization is all about? So the first thing, and I harp on my kids about it as well, because, you know, me being new um, and we've got a lot of freshmen, for example, that are just coming out that didn't go through spring football with us. And like one thing that I had my seniors, I talked to my seniors about, I said, um, seniors, you guys are going to clean up the field today with the freshmen you get to take one freshman with you and clean up the field. And I said, here's what the test is going to be. At some point, I'm going to ask the freshman to clean up the field, and me and the coaches are going to sit here and evaluate. Now, if they don't clean it up well because they didn't want to, that's one thing. 
But if they're trying their hardest and they're talking to each other or whatever, and they can't put stuff back, that means it was not explained to them how they were supposed, how it was supposed to be done. And so I think the, the number one way it is, is is by shadowing and explaining to kids what we want done and then let, allowing the kids to watch us do it. So, you know, I use a perfect example is this. When we get ready to have our first football game in a regular season, I will, I will dress a kid up in uniform, the game uniform, the socks he's supposed to have on, the, the color jersey or shirt underneath it. And I bring that kid in and I say, everybody sees such and such. This is how he's dressed. This is how we were dressed for games. You notice his socks. You notice his cleats. You notice his, his, his dry fit shirt. You notice how he wears his items. Do you have any questions? Now, some kid is going to say, Coach, can I wear this? Can I do that? Can I do this? <laughs> and you're able to answer those questions by saying, is this part of what I said was allowed? Does that does that take from what I said was allowed? No, it doesn't. So it may be some room in that. Does this take from what I said was allowed? Yes, it does. And that can't be done. How do you execute it? The very next day, they need to see that person dressed like that to a team. If not, you've lost credibility. So when you get a new person, having them job shadow, being taught, and then watching somebody else, that's what they learn what needs to be done. Yeah. Oh, man, that's great. I love the explanation. That's so good. Now, I know the last question I have, you kind of touched on these a little bit, but it's kind of be a nice way to close it all. What advice would you give someone going into a leadership position, whether they're going to be a head coach or in administration? What 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 advice would you give them? Um, I would always say that one thing when you get your culture established is that culture – isn't static. Um, and that's one mistake that I learned. I think there are several ways to build culture. I think by listening to this podcast, reading great books on leadership, we will all develop our own style and method. And if you follow those, a lot of time you end up in the right spot. But the hardest thing to understand is there is no culture method for self-driving, i.e., oh, our culture is going good. Let me take my hands off. Ah, that's probably going to lead you to having to restart your culture. And I think that's big. That it isn't, uh, once we get it rolling, I can take my hands off the wheel. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's solid. Um, you know, I'm a big Twitter guy, but I know also you got some Facebook group things that you're a part of and things like that. What are some of the ways that people can uh, maybe reach out to you? You gave some great answers and they might, you know, be curious and want to pick your brain about some other things. So where can they all kind of reach out to you? Um, Twitter is definitely the best. Um, T banks one nine zero six. That's probably the best place to, to get me. Um, I'm a part of different Facebook groups, whether it's uh no BCD zone. Um, if you listen to this and you're a football coach and you like football, no huddle, um, tempo practice, but uh, Twitter is definitely the best the best place. You, um, you know, send me a tweet on there, and we can get together with something that requires long um, conversation. We can do it through an email, or I get you my phone number, and we can talk. I I love talking, so you that won't be a problem when you contact me with questions. I I, I love talking. 
you know, reach out to you that way. And some of them, if they're like me, they could be honored and be your Facebook friend, but not everyone is that status yet. Right. So maybe <laughs> you'll, you'll make a few more that way. Right? Yes. <laughs> so yes. No, that's great. Coach, you did such a good job uh, uh, answering these questions today. You gave a lot of, dropped a lot of good knowledge on, on these things. And so I really do appreciate you taking the time this summer to, to coming on the podcast. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. Oh, thank you again for having me on. I'm honored that uh, you thought I was worthy of even giving anybody advice. So people uh, take it at your own risk. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. You're wise. So again, thank you. Thank you, coach. Hey there, Threes Company podcast listeners. Have you checked out coachtube.com? CoachTube is the place to go to master your sport. There is a place where you can download any on-demand clinic or playbook that you can imagine. Also, if you are into it, you can even be your own entrepreneur. You can put up your own material on there and sell it all around the world. I've used it. It's a great asset to coaches everywhere. Check it out. Welcome to the Threes Company Leadership Podcast. I'm with my next guest here, Chris Four, who is an assistant principal in California. He's a, a friend that I've known since 2011 um, when he was writing a collecting information on a book about championship coaches. So that's kind of how we connected on Twitter and gotten to know each other. Author of multiple books. He's a speaker. Um, I was very blessed. We got to meet finally face to face in January last, last January and in Orlando at the USA football convention. So it's really great uh, to have you on the podcast to share uh, a little bit about yourself today. Hey coach, I really appreciate, or you go by just Mr. Rowe now. (laughs) I go by whatever. (laughs) Coach, I I really appreciate it. As you said, uh, you know, yeah, we've just known each other for a while now. Shot you that email or or Twitter out of the blue with my research on, uh, state champions and i i always appreciated the guys like you who spent some time to uh share about your success and and uh it's it's been fun just watching your career and outstanding it's always outstanding meeting people in person like we were able to do last january out there in florida and i appreciate you having me on today yeah it's a Every winter, I got to make that trip. That's the thing. It breaks it up really good. So before we get started with everything, why don't you kind of fill everyone in your, your path? You've been in a lot of places. You've had a lot of great experiences. Um, just fill us in how you've ended up in your current position. Yeah, so I've been in education out here in Southern California since uh, 2001. Started like most people do as a teacher and uh, just progressed up through the ranks. I, I kind of been one of those guys, Mike, who... Um, uh, there's, there's kind of one school I would love to spend my whole career at. And that's, you know, my former high school, my alma mater. But outside of that, I've just kind of been one of those guys who, who loves to go in, help turn something around, build it up a little bit. I've never spent more than five years at, at one place. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of get a little bored after a little while, to be very honest and frank with you. But, um, yeah, so start as a teacher was at one place, a teacher, and then became the head football coach there after two years. And then after five years total there, I left to become an athletic director somewhere. Um, Went to that school. uh, Also here in Southern California, spent five years there. And then um, I didn't leave by choice there. 
I, I, a brand new superintendent came in. I was at a private school. A lot of times here in Southern California, the private school sector, new guy comes in, you know, he brings his own team in. So 2011, um, I was basically kind of asked to move on. I got a guy coming in. And so that was a tough deal. Um, basically 35 years old, looking for a job for the first time in my life, you know, up until then I'd been sought out different places or different jobs. And so that was a tough deal. Family and I went through, um, again, it was like, I did nothing wrong. We, I lost, lost a head football coach job the same year I won a league championship. So that was, <laughs> that, that was kind of frustrating. And our athletic department there, uh, the year before I got there, they'd won zero league championships. My first year, we won one. My second year, we won two. And then we won four. And then we won five. And so I, I turned around that athletic department. And then new guy came in, thought he could do it better, hired a new AD head football coach. Asked me to stay on to train the new guy because they had a football coach coming from Division One college level, and he wanted me to train him on the athletic director side of things. So, so I did that for uh, four months. But, but anyway, then I moved, took another job as an athletic director, uh, and then um, and then be, went back into the classroom as a teacher because I never had my California teaching credential. I'd spent twelve years in the private sector here. So then in 14, I went to get a teaching credential because I wanted to get an admin credential. And in California, in, in, in order to be an administrator, get that admin credential, you have to have a teaching credential, which makes sense. So I kind of went backwards um, from being an AD to going back into the classroom as a teacher uh, just because I wanted to get that admin credential. So then I spent uh, four years teaching again, special ed. And then this past year just wrapped up my first year as an administrator. So my, my career kind of has been wonky, kind of different in the sense that I spent 12 years in the private sector without a California teaching credential. Um, I'd had a master's and as much education as you can get as an athletic director. But I had to get that admin credential piece with our state. And so, again, just wrapped up my first year as an assistant principal at a public school. And uh, I can say with, with full confidence, it's been just one of my absolute most favorite years I've ever had at, as an educator. It, it was uh, a great move for me personally, professionally. I've, I've loved this role as an assistant principal. That's awesome. Um, who are some people, coaches, maybe teachers that um, helped you uh, kind of become the leader that you are today? So I, I have three guys who have kind of helped shape me in that way. Um, one of them, Tom Pack, my head high school football coach. I grew up in a small town of like 40,000 people, one high school town. Um, coach Pack was a larger than life guy, as you can imagine, you know, a small town head football coach. Um, one of those guys you'd see at the grocery store as a little kid and be like, and like, that's my idol. You know what I mean? Um, one of those guys you'd see on, on Friday nights, I remember with my dad sitting there watching the football team take the field, you know, and it'd be like, I was always more intrigued with the coach than the players, which was, which was interesting looking back, you know, even as a little kid um, and trying to get a high five from coach pack, you know, uh, standing near next to the gate. And then, and then I eventually uh, played for him. And then I spent some time, 
as a junior in high school, uh, one period a day, I was what they call a TA out here, a teacher's assistant. So um, I wanted to get to know him a little better, and I wanted to see what being an athletic director was all about. So my junior and senior year, I spent one period a day as a TA with him uh, during his athletic director period. And, uh, man, it was awesome. He was just a great mentor to me, role model. He wouldn't even recognize himself as that mentor. You know, in those days, he just had some kid in his office filing things for him, you know. But as I grew up and grew older, we kept in contact. And even last year, his grandson was playing a football game up here near me. And I went and sat with him for three hours at the game and just – uh, so he's been a, a great guy early in my career to be a, uh, an impact on me as a leader. And then uh, the first, uh, first head coaching job I got in 03, I had uh, worked with a guy named Perry Crochelle for two years at that school. He was the, the head coach. And, boy, he mentored me and taught me more about being a, a head football coach than anybody um and again a lot of he wasn't I don't think he'd even say oh yeah I was teaching you a bunch of things you know just being around that man and he did I, I I've just always been the type of guy to try to soak in what I could ask a lot of questions from guys I respected and so I did that with coach Crochel, and then he left to start a new program at another high school and and recommended me for that job and I got it but uh, Coach Crochelle, you know, for the last 18 years has been a tremendous impact on me as a leader. And then kind of a real short time frame here, but Justin Monocle, the principal I'm working for right now, I've only known him for a year. But, uh, boy, he's been a tremendous impact on me uh, as a leader because he is a, a dynamite principal, uh, one of the best I've ever worked for. And again, is a guy, he'll, he'll pull back the veil at any time to show me, teach me. He challenges me. He's one of the first leaders I've ever worked for who really challenges me. And I appreciate that. You know, he'll bring me in and talk to me about an issue. And I'm thinking for a second, I'm in trouble. I start second guessing myself. And, and then he's, he pushes me and I'm sitting there going, shoot, did I screw this up or not? And I'll explain myself and what we walk through it together. And he's like, you know, eight times out of 10, he says, dude, you did this perfect. Um, and, uh, but, but that's one thing I really appreciate about him is he, uh, he, he challenged me, challenges me, pushes me. And he's like, you know, Hey, if, if you want to be a principal one day, here's what you got to know. You know, we have that conversation all the time. So he just does a really good job in, in building up leaders as well. So, those three guys, kind of three different points in my life, but uh, all three have played a played a significant role in my life as a leader. Yeah, that's always kind of like my favorite part of each interview is just hearing like the stories of how like you can kind of feel how everyone gets molded by the people that they pick as their kind of their mentors, you know. And like you said early on, they probably didn't even look at it as mentorship. Now we kind of do. But before, hardly anyone thought about that. They just thought, hey, I'm just a coach. You know, I just yeah, do this. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a solid list there. Um, now that you've had, you know, a year under your belt, how do you monitor the performance of the people that you have to lead? It's a great question. Um, you know, one of the things I've always kind of prided myself on and one of the things my resume shows is I've been kind of an agent of change, you know. Um, 
whether it be taking over a football program that was 0 and 10 and then we go, you know, five and five in one year. Um, or, you know, I shared that experience with the league championships that we built at that at one school. There was another school I took over at. They had won three league championships in 10 years. I mean, that's pitiful. Three league championships in 10 years. Um, I came in about halfway through a school year and then that next school year, my first full school year there, we won six league championships. The only thing that changed was the vision from the top, you know, from the superintendent and the AD wanting to make athletics great and monitoring the performance of those coaches. There are some coaches we let go as soon as I got there because they weren't very good. And then there were some who, like my current principal now is pushing me to become a better leader. I had to push those guys to become better leaders, better coaches, better mentors to their athletes. And the way that we monitored their performance so they could in, 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 and then in, sorry, impact change in their program was just through that daily relationship. Like, like you talked about, sometimes you don't even necessarily see that as mentoring, but, but those daily informal and formal check-ins with those head coaches uh, as I've been an athletic director, that's how I've, you know, monitored those guys' performance. Um, as an athletic director, I think one of my main roles during the season of sport is to go watch those practices, you know, and, and that's where you learn a lot about a head coach, uh, not during the games, it's during the practices. And, and then I love, you know, writing a little note to those guys. Hey, you know, I, I get a little index card and I'll just drop a note in their box. Maybe the, later that afternoon about, you know, a lot of times I like to do, Hey, here's three great things I saw at your practice. And then maybe, and I do, I don't do that every, every time I go watch a practice, but I like to try to keep that communication going. And if there's something I see that I really don't like, I'll bring that up too, but usually not uh, in a written way more of a conversation you know I don't like to do that stuff in text or emails because sometimes the message gets lost in translation and then now you know as a, as an administrator with teachers that same thing you know we we've we've been through I think this year we had 25 teachers who were in their first second or third year at my school out of 56 total that's a ton yeah my, my principal last year was his first year and he really has done a dynamite job job changing things but he had to push some teachers out and some teachers elected to go other places because they knew uh he was there to you know mean business and so i you know we just had some teachers who struggled and and so you know that you got to get in and monitor their performance a little more and and again i think that the best way to do that is through those informal processes you know the when you go in to formally evaluate a teacher or with a coach to formally do a written formal observation of them, you know, you're usually going to get a little bit of the dog and pony show where it's not necessarily real. And so I I've always been a big believer in those, you know, those un informal, you know, you just, you show up at a practice and as long as you have that relationship with the coach where they know you're not trying to micromanage them, they know you're not, you know, in there to babysit them. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really not an issue. I've always told my head coaches, you know, Hey, I love coming into your locker rooms after games, but if there's ever a time you don't want me in there, 
you just come tap me on the shoulder two times, you know, as you see me walking in there. Or as if I come in there, give me a nod and you want me to leave. That's your personal space. So I believe as a, as an administrator, as an athletic director, you know, there's times that uh, I love observing our coaches, but they're going to have to, you know, have some time just themselves between them and the team. And I absolutely respect that. So, and I've done that. I've had, I've had some head coaches tell me, Hey, stay out, you know, and I've done it. You got to respect that. So kind of a long winded answer. I hope I answered your question, but I think the, the number way, number one way I like to monitor the performance is through informal observations, informal check-ins, taking a coach out to lunch, that, that sort of stuff. Yeah. That just makes it easier. I think that just is a good way to do it. Like you said, really early on to, you know, sometimes stuff gets lost in translation if, if it's text or written. So this way, you know, you communicate it a little more clearly. Um, what's a mistake that you've maybe witnessed leaders make, you know, you've been at a bunch of schools. Um, is there a certain mistake maybe that you've seen, or maybe a couple? I think the biggest mistake coaches make, not just coaches, teachers, leaders, as I think you asked about leaders, right? Um, yeah. I think, I think the number one mistake leaders make is just getting complacent. Um, and you see this in, in history as well. I love reading, uh, I love reading books. You know, I love reading biographical books about, about leaders. And, uh, I think that's one thing that we see during the course of, you know, historical leaders. And one thing I've seen in person is guys who just, they get too lax. They get, they get lazy. They get, um, they get satisfied with where their program or their school or their classroom is. And they just, they get complacent. They, they forget about what got them to the success that they're, they've had, maybe the success they've experienced. They get satisfied with that and then they get lazy and, and start to lose a little bit of that, that grip they had. Um, you know, they start to lose a little bit of that, that power that they had, in regards to being an agent of change and uh, they slip up in one way or another and, and make some critical mistakes. So I, I'd say that's the number one way is number one mistake is, is guys just getting complacent. Yep. Always got to keep trying to get better uh, and keep trying to grow. that's for sure. Um, what is most important to you when you're structuring? Uh, like when you come in, is it your mission? Is it your core values or your vision? Gosh, darn, that's a, that's a really tough question. Um, I think, I, I, as I think about that, your mission, your core values, or your vision, I, I, I believe it all starts with your mission. Um, for instance, when I became a head football coach in 2003 for the first time, I told you about Perry. Perry told our coaching staff at a conference, uh, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to suggest that Chris takes it over. The coach, there was about 10 of us there. You know, they were all like, dude, you got to take this over. This is awesome. I was 27 years old. I thought I was way too young. But I got real excited about it that night. I could hardly sleep. And one of the things I did was I wrote out, like, what my mission would be, you know, as a new head coach because our program didn't really have a mission. And I did it, you know, an acronym, which which was ACTS. Uh, a, we're going to have achievement in the classroom as players. C, I'm going to have coaches who teach about life, not just football. T, we were going to be known for uh, their sportsmanship. T, their sportsmanship on the field. And then S, we we're going to have success based on the non-negotiable work ethic. 
So that became my mission. I think that the core values that I've had as a leader helped me build that mission. But um, everything I had that we did as a football program there and then the next school, I took that same mission statement. We're going to be known by our acts. Um, everything came back to that mission, you know, that I had that, of achieving success in the classroom. How are we going to help kids do that? Coaches who teach about life. How am I going to do that? You know, well, I'm going to hire the right guys. Uh, sportsmanship. How am I going to teach that sportsmanship? You know, and so, so everything we did, we tried to hold true to that mission statement. I think that I've been at some places where, yeah, this mission statement, like a page long, you know, and nobody knew what the mission statement was. Uh, and I think that's a big mistake. I know you didn't ask me that, but no, that's a big that's true. It's very true though. That's uh, yeah. a lot of organizations. They just have this long list of, of things and how do you ever accomplish that? Absolutely. And, and I, I think coach that, uh, your mission statement has to be so basic and simple that everybody in the organization understands it. Like we preach the heck out of acts. You know, I put that ACTS, I put that everywhere. And, and you could ask our players, Hey, what does the S mean? Oh, that means success. Well, what does that mean to you? Well, coach four wants us to have success, not based on our talent, but on how hard we work, you know? So I think that, that mission of your organization is, is the most important component. But again, I think that mission needs to be so basic and simple that you could walk up to anybody on campus, anybody in your business and say, Hey, what's the, what's the mission of our high school? What's the mission of our company here? And, and they're able to say it back to you. Uh, so that's, that's what I believe is most important to the organizations uh, I've been in. I know, Right now, my principal and I were speaking um, not too long ago about this exact thing. And I'm like, dude, our our vision statement here. I mean, coach, our vision statement's like five pages. It's, it's yeah, it's crazy. It's it is amazing. It is amazing. And he he gave me some background on that and said, yeah, these these teachers developed this over like a year long process, you know, under a former administrator. And he said, but do you think any of our teachers can even give you a quarter of that vision statement. I said, you know, there's no way. So, so at some point in the future here, we're going to re rework that vision statement. Um, but he just, he doesn't, you know, a, as a great leader, he is, he doesn't want to kind of trash that right now because he did just take over at this school and there's a lot of teachers who helped write that thing. So, he doesn't want to, you know, change it too much right now. But to be honest with you, it just it doesn't mean anything because it's so long. Nobody can regurgitate it, you know, so yeah, just a piece of paper. Yeah. And this one segues your answer is a good answer. Segues into this. You're hiring new employees or new coaches. How do you get them to understand the culture of your organization? Oh, so important. You know, culture is such a buzzword the last four or five years, I think. Um, and, and it is so important. I think, how, how do you help them do that? I think, again, it goes back kind of just my philosophy of leadership that those informal times you're able to spend with them. I think getting, getting a new employee to understand the culture of your organization happens two ways. It's through a formal process of, you know, literally registration day or orientation day. You know, that's one thing we're going to, we're going to back up a little bit this year with our new teachers because, because we do have so many new ones. So 
And we felt after this year, I kind of felt like we threw them into the wolves a little too, too much. Even, you know, myself being a brand new administrator there kind of felt like I could have used more orientation on the culture of our, our district and the culture of our school. So I went to my principal with an idea like, Hey, let's all our first and second year teachers in, you know, a day early. Can we pay them to come in a day early and sit with those people for three or four hours? So that's, you know, we're going to do that kind of bring them in a day earlier than everybody else this year to just spend time with them in a formal way. They'll hear from both my principal and I about, you know, the different processes and philosophies of the school. And then um, just again, you know, informally, going around spending time with those guys uh, when they're on their prep period. I like to bounce in the classrooms when, when teachers are on their prep period, just to check in with them. And, you know, you can read them right away if they're too busy to chat or if, you know, they love, a lot of teachers love seeing administrators in their room. That's probably the, the best feedback I got this year was, man, you are around a lot. And we really appreciate that. Um, Cause I know as a last, I don't know if anybody from my old school will listen to this, but at my last school, you know, last year as a, as a classroom teacher, uh, 18, no, 17, 18 school year, I saw an administrator in my classroom, uh, twice, you know, one time was for my, a formal observation. And then one time, uh, he came in to get some football paperwork, you know, so, um, I, I really value as a teacher, I value when administrators came into my classroom. So that's something I value now as an administrator to try to, you know, maintain that pulse on that culture and, and, uh, support your teachers that way. So one of the things we're doing this year, another idea I have percent of our discipline issues this year came from just one class. So from 25% of our kids. And as I really thought about that, I thought, you know, we need to do something a little better in building our culture with our kids coming in. And so I, I, I talked to our principal an idea, I called it bridge. You know, we want to bridge that, that gap from eighth grade to ninth grade. So we're going to have a three hour orientation night with all of our freshmen and parents. We've created a, uh, I think a pretty cool night. They're going to go through seven different stations together on campus to learn about our culture and having uh, parents and kids sit together uh, so that they, they can both hear about our, you know, policy on cell phone usage in the classroom. And, and we're going to make sure that, you know, parents and, and their students are all on the same page, not only about our discipline, but about everything. You know, hey, here's all the opportunities kids have to get involved. Here's all the ways that we partner with community organizations to get your kids the help they need. So, uh, again, that's kind of a formal process that we've developed to help our new freshmen and their parents understand the culture of our organization. I think that some organizations do a really, really good job of teaching their new employees. I, about, I think it's one or the other, Mike. I, I think either organizations do an outstanding job of getting their employees and their new people to understand the culture. They have really good programs to do that or they do an awful job. I don't think there's really too many places that, you know, meet you right in the middle. That's just what I've seen and heard and studied. Uh, it seems like places either do a great job of that or they, they just throw their people to the wolves, you know? Yeah. That's a hard one to, to kind of be on the fence on, you know what I mean? You're either all in or you're not. So yeah, yeah. just kind of that deal there. 
And then now, now you've gotten under your belt a little bit. What advice do you have for someone that wants to go into a leadership uh, position for the first time? I guess the biggest advice I would have would be to, uh, to just read, keep reading. I, I, like I said, I, I love reading. I think that, um, the more that you can read about, about leadership the, and, and get ideas from anybody and everybody that you can, uh, the better you're going to be. You know, when, when I read books, I, I take notes in the back of them and refer to those things constantly, you know? Um, and, and I, I'll go through books on leadership that I've, I've really enjoyed and I'll, I'll, uh, bust that thing out every now and then when I'm just looking through ideas or struggling with a leadership idea or topic, you know, like, Hey, what did, you know, what, what, what did they have to say about this? You know? Um, so I think, I think you can never read too much on leadership if, if you can just make the time to do it. Yeah. That's very wise. You got to keep learning all the time. You have yeah. a ton of stuff that people can connect with. You know, you got podcasts, you got your website and blog, you got resume materials for people looking for jobs, which is on sale, shameless plug during July. Right. And then uh, obviously Twitter's uh, you're really big on there too. Um, Is there anywhere else that, um, or any other way that people can connect with you if they want to get in touch with you? No, I think like you said, Twitter, Twitter's a great way to do that. And then uh, just, you know, through email um, uh, my website, eight laces, E I G H T L A C E S.org. Uh, I've got an email address on there. Happy to help anybody anytime in the terms of uh, leadership, leadership development, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're always helping. You're always there supporting and doing everything for the cause. So, yeah, uh, it's been great to have you. you did an uh, awesome job today answering the questions, Chris. So I really appreciate your time today. Coach Rowe, I appreciate you having me on and, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted you thought enough to ask me and, I wish you well with this podcast. It's going to help out a lot of guys. Thank you. We're joined with our final guest on the Threes Company Leadership Conversation, and we have uh, mommy teacher fashion herself. We have Jennifer (laughs) Quattrushi, and she's laughing because, you know, she knows I struggle uh, with her last name there. But um, it's so glad we're so glad to have you here today and have you be a part of this podcast. Um, Do you want to kind of warm us up a little bit and tell us a little bit about your uh, path uh, in education and how you've kind of gotten to be speaker, author, all these great things that you're doing um, to help educators out there? Sure. I'm just a, you know, everyday, ordinary mom, teacher, wife. I've taught kindergarten for more than 22 years in Providence, Rhode Island. And this year, this past year was my first year teaching second grade, which I absolutely love. I mean, I loved teaching kindergarten and I love second grade. And uh, for a while now, I've had a blog and I um, have Instagram, Mommy Teacher Fashionista, I'm Twitter, Jen Quattrucci, and I know it's also called Mommy Teacher Fashion. And uh, for a while, I had a blog and it was mostly fashion. It was totally different from my teaching. And then more and more, I started to do more teacher-related posts. And especially from moving from kindergarten to second grade, I kind of got a new um, perspective on education and did some a whole lot of research to make sure that my transition from kindergarten to second grade, that I was up on, you know, everything current and 
I don't know, like it just um, kind of maybe refreshed my enthusiasm for teaching, which was already high, but even more so. Um, so my blog kind of changed from fashion lifestyle to more creative lessons, which then led me to a book, Educate the Heart, which is coming out in September. And then when that was done, because, you know, the book was done for, has been done for a few months now, and now it's getting ready. It's going to be released in September. I started the podcast as an introduction, but also as a companion to the book. So, um, so I don't know how it all happened. I've been very active in tw- on Twitter, more so than the other social media, because of the great educators that are there that are so inspiring. And the Twitter chats are so helpful, and they just kind of keep me going, and they're great motivation. So that's it. I'm just like, you know, totally ordinary. So when you asked me to do the podcast about leadership, I was like, well, you know, I'm just a teacher. So I'm honored to be asked. Oh, yeah. And you you do a lot of great things in education and a lot of other things. I also saw that you guys bake blueberry pie today. So I'm kind of jealous on that end. Or maybe it wasn't today, <laughs> but I but whatever. It was, That's, today. It was absolutely yeah. today. And I, I told my son, you know, I'm going to have an interview at two o'clock and then by then the pie will be cool and then we can actually cut it and taste it. Yep. That was totally today after the library. Yep. Perfect. That's <laughs> awesome. So tell us a little bit about your path. You know, you've done, we know kind of like where you're at now with the book and everything else, the blog and the podcast and those things, but how did you get to, to this point from, you know, kindergarten teacher through that? How did, uh, tell us a little bit about the process that went through all that. Um, the process to for the book or just my whole my career process. just your whole career in education yeah so um i i always wanted to be a teacher since i was a little girl um i just i always used to play school <laughs> is this what you mean like from way back then I yes. used to play, I, <laughs> I used to play school with my stuffed animals and my dolls and i lined them all up and my dad got me a chalkboard and he used to always bring home paper. He used to work at a bank and I used to be like, can you bring home paper? He'd bring home paper. And I just remember always like teaching my stuffed animals, the alphabet and books and mostly like just reading books. I always, always wanted to be a teacher. Like my two things I love to do were teaching and reading and I love to dress up. So that's probably what led to the fashion blog part of my whole um, life, even though they don't go together like teaching and dressing up, but it's just about me, you know? So um, when I, I went to Rhode Island College, which is in my state, obviously, which is known for teaching, and there I had excellent, excellent professors. I had great cooperating teachers when I student taught, and while I was in college, I was very fortunate to work at a place called Kindercare, which you may know about because they know that they are a national and actually mm-hmm. international chain, Kindercare, and there was a director there. Her name is Karen Power. And she was just such a great, great director, leader. And she took me kind of under her wing as a college student. And she was the first one who really showed me how to discipline children in a nice way, like to be authoritative and have them, you know, want to listen and learn, but not be, you know, yelling, screaming. And I loved how in her center, And this is the last time I've ever been in a place where everybody was calm and nice and professional and gentle. And there was no yelling and screaming, but kids listened. You know, it was all in the words that you say and the relationships. 
So she had an impact on me. I always wanted to, I always, I think back even now, you know, 25 years later, like Karen, like what would Karen say and what would she do? And it was always professional and nice, you know? So that, and so then I worked in Providence and um, <laughs> flash, you know, I, you know, I was mostly in, um, I did one school for a few years, then another school where I met my husband called Asa Messer, and that school is now closed down, which led me to another school in Providence where I taught kindergarten, and now I'm teaching first grade. I mean, I'm teaching second grade. I'm not teaching first grade. I don't know what I'm saying. Sorry. So <laughs> I'm teaching second grade. You could tell I'm nervous. So I teach second grade, and that's the same school I taught kindergarten in. So I taught in several schools in Providence ever since I've um, graduated college, um, and this is my first year teaching second grade. Well, that's cool. And then it's always good to get that fresh start and kind of like when a new grade level and relearning those things yeah. too it helps kind of refresh the process which is, it really which is- did I felt like I I this whole past year I just felt like um a brand new teacher rather than a teacher that's been teaching for 23 years so it was a great thing to move grade levels that's awesome who are some I know you kind of talked a little bit about one mentor who are are there other people that have helped uh kind of sh- shape you and mold you into kind of the leader educator that you are today? Well, I do. I definitely do uh, always think back to those teachers. I had the cooperating teachers when I was a student teacher. One of them was Linda Cameron, who I had as a kindergarten teacher, cooperating teacher. But then I also had a first grade cooperating teacher. That was my only time teaching first grade. And her name was Margaret Lesser because in, in, because I did the early childhood in the elementary program at Rhode Island College, I had two different student teaching placements. And I have to say, I was so fortunate to work with these women who were so enthusiastic about their job. They, you could tell that they loved what they were doing. They put their hearts into it, but they were always professional, you know, and it wasn't just all about like, oh, let's just have some fun. It was always professional and learning, but they loved it and they loved the kids. So even through have, all these years have passed and these are the people that I, I remember the most is, is what I think about is how I want to be. And then Karen Power from Kindercare. And then in the social media world, I have to say, even though these are people that I haven't all met in real life, there's people that I've met online through the Twitter chats, through constant communication um, between Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and, and the blogs and the podcast. There's, there are people that have made a tremendous impact on me. And I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and list them because I can't like not. And Donnie Epps for one has been phenomenal. And he's just always, always motivating, inspiring how he leads his school. He puts his heart into it. He loves what he's doing. Um, Sean Galeard, who wrote the pepper effect, Jeff Kubiak, who just wrote one drop of kindness, um, Brian Aspinall, David Schmido. Brian Medler, um, Alice Aspinall, all of these people, they've made such an impact. And even though, like I'm saying, I haven't met them and they're not like right there by my side mentoring me, I feel like they're mentors because I, I see their examples and I see how I want to be. And and also, you know, those days that are more difficult than others and you think about, well, you know, they have difficult days too and how do they deal with them? Um, it's just, uh, it's it's great to have the people there in the, in the kind of like the, the media world, even though they're not here in my city. Oh, yeah. 
No, yeah, and that's the way I feel. Like I feel like of everything and that's happened to me, Twitter has been like the greatest probably professional development tool ever from anything I need to get advice on, I can go and ask. And so many people I've met uh, through that. And I've, you know, some I've met face to face, but you know how hard it is. Sometimes you're on opposite yeah. ends of the, of, of the, uh, the continent. And so it's hard to, to do those things. So um, when you look at like the performance of, of people, let's maybe talk about like your students. How do you monitor the students that you lead and monitor their performance? Okay, well, I use a lot of formative assessments, a lot of, um, as I, as I teach, uh, a lot of formal and informal assessments so that I can change my procedures, so I can modify the teaching, I can modify the learning activities, questioning and checklists and all kinds of things like that. I use it, it's like a constant. It's not, I don't... um, I don't like do a whole bunch of, you know, teaching and then wait until the end. So it's ongoing and I can judge by their mannerisms, by their attitude, um, by how they're communicating with each other. It's, it's a constant thing um, for the younger grades for, for every time, for all through kindergarten and now in second grade. It's definitely ongoing. I just kind yeah. of, I, it's constant. <laughs> yeah, no doubt all the time. And it's yeah. interesting that, you know, like when you, you talk about assessment, especially in the kindergarten end of it, you know, the way that everyone wants to change how they, they grade. Well, kindergarten's kind of like the leader of that because everything's like, a, hey, you have it mastered or not. You know what I mean? You're not leaving yes. here until yeah. you get those things. So that's always cool. Um, yeah. You've been in some buildings. What are some mistakes that maybe you've witnessed leaders make um, that kind of make it difficult for, for teachers? Um, well, I really, well, first of all, for leaders, um, you know, administrators, I think a big, a one big problem is uh, the negativity. When you see, when a leader, when a leader is expressing negativity um, about their leaders or just, you know, in general, it's hard to, it's hard to rise above that and, and continue on and be positive and, and, and make the best of situation when your leader is is seeming like they're not quite enthusiastic you know um i see that also i hate to i hate to say this but you know it just it's such it's such a glaring problem when you see leaders administrators people that are in charge of a whole culture of adults who are watching children to um, entertain gossip and entertain that negativity and to even be like cliquish and like kind of, um, you know, degrade people. It's, it's just not right, you know, that lack of respect, you know. But I've also, but aside from that, aside from the administrators, um, I mean, I've never, I've never been an administrator and I, so it's hard for me to even speak on that, but those are things that I definitely know that don't feel so good in a building as far as, you know, to make the climate as good as it can be. But, but with the teachers, with educators and just everybody in general, I think a lot of times people are taking things too personal. Like um, when children are having a hard time with something, I think the adults have to realize that it's not the child giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time and they need help that kids aren't going to come, aren't going to come in and they're not going to know really what the expectation is and how to follow that. They need explicit, explicit 
direction. They need the patience. And I think when, when teachers and educators are too quick to be like, oh, they're not doing the right thing and, and they're giving me a hard time, I think that's when the problems are at their worst. That's when they just escalate rather than de-escalate. Oh, yeah, so, no doubt. Yeah, especially, you know, kids now more today just want an adult that's going to listen. And yeah. it's hard when the adults of the building are acting like children or treating it like high school a little bit. So, yeah, that is I, I really like that answer a lot because that's you know kind of the cultures that are the most broken that's kind of what you see see from those um what is the most important uh in your organization or your mind i'm trying to think how for your classroom is it your mission your core values or your vision that you think are maybe most important uh to your classroom um in my classroom is definitely my my mission my my value um, that children need the time to learn, to focus. The growth mindset is the most important to know that they're not, if they're not knowing something, it's because they don't know it yet. And it's all a process and they're working towards it. I think that children, they need to be loved first and uh, they need to learn these critical thinking skills. They learn to, they need to learn how to collaborate. They need to be able to feel brave enough to express their creativity. Those things are at, are the most important to me that they have the time they need to think, to focus, to learn, to grow at their own pace without the risk of being wrong or without the risk of feeling like they just can't do it. The growth mindset to me is the most important. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I just want to bring my kids to your, to your classroom now. Just get them in there. (laughs) I'd love to have them, all three of them. (laughs) Be great. Um, You have a new, you know, you're a veteran teacher in your school. You get a new employee there. How do you help maybe help them understand the culture of the school um, so that they, they feel that there's belonging there? Well, when we we have had some new teachers, some new um, student teachers and some substitutes, and I, I try to like go out of my way to be extra friendly and nice and just, you know, that simple kindness, letting them know I'm here if you need anything. Um, I try not to be like over imposing, like, you know, sometimes that's can be like too much, but just to let them know I'm here, anything at all. If you need anything, I'm here. We're all on this together. Um, just like a new student in the classroom, just make them feel like, you know, we're here for you. We're together, better together. I try to, I try to, um, just to let them know that, um, <laughs> that, you know, it's not just to try not to listen to the negativity or just, it's hard, you know, you, but just to be themselves and not worry, you know, just do their thing, not worry yes. about in different voices I don't want to be one of those voices saying do this do that you know because you know what they're prof- everyone's a professional just basically like be yourself enjoy your job don't worry you know yeah. it is the greatest profession in the world and you got to treat it that way you know what I mean absolutely and yeah yep, they'll they'll find it and find their their way but yeah you can give them you know you don't want to be giving all the advice you want them to kind of learn to and then when they have come seek you out too um, you know, you, you're a risk taker because, you know, you've, you've done a book, you do a podcast, you do a blog, you put yourself out there. And anytime you do I that, on yeah. yeah, you know, <laughs> what, what kind of advice would you give to people that are like, you know, I really have a great idea, but I'm not, you know, I don't want to do it. What, what kind of advice could you give them to, to maybe 
help them take that leap of faith into to believing in themselves a little bit? Oh, I would say just do it because just try, like just be yourself and just try. Because if not, you're going to be looking back and you're going to be wishing that you did. I mean, I mean, there's no different between me or anybody else. And I, the only reason why I have a book coming out is because I sat down and I did it. And I wasn't like talking about, I think I'll write a book. I think I wrote a book. I just did it, you know, and uh, just, just go with it. I mean, I don't, I don't really have any other advice except that um, what's the worst that could happen because either it's going to work or it's not going to work. I mean, there's always going to be people that are going to be negative and they're going to criticize. I'm sure there's people that, you know, uh, people that are going to, I know there's people that are not all excited that I have a book. <laughs> I mean, I know that, you know, and here's the thing. It's like, I just felt like, with the blog, I put myself out there years ago when I first thought of that. Even just with an ins every post I put on Instagram, every tweet, every Facebook post. At the end of the day, if it's something that I'm proud of, something that I have to share, then that's all that matters. Even when I wrote the book, I said, you know what? N maybe nobody will, will like it, but I'm going to write the book. I remember telling my husband when I first had the idea for the book and I showed him my chapter list. And he's like, yeah, you definitely should, should write a book. He's like, you, you have to, I was sitting there doing lesson plans one day and I was doing, I think I was doing a donors choose project. And, um, I'm, I'm like heavily into, in that world and the donors choose community. And I was doing a project and putting lesson plans together and spending a lot of time, um, on my own on the weekends. I think I was doing a native American lesson. And then I was working on a lesson based on the movie, the Grinch. And I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to write a book. And I said, I, I, I you know, I, this is, these are my chapters. And I showed him my chapter list and he was like, yeah, you definitely should write a book. Cause and he's like, it's going to be a bestseller. How can, I can't believe that you haven't done this before. Like he was so supportive and so encouraging. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do it because, because I just, why not? Like what reason is there not to? And that's the bottom line is what reason do you have not to like, like, you know? And so that's it. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, it's, do it. yeah that's All it. Your I mean, time, right at the end of the day, it's just yeah. time, right? It, I mean, right. Or you're gonna, or you either. That's how I feel now. Like even having now that I wrote it, now I'm thinking about like my next book, and now I'm thinking about a podcast episode, a blog, a new blog post, or a new post. I mean, I'm constantly and my lessons for next year. To me, like my, if you're constantly going forward and thinking, think, thinking of things. So the book is just sharing the ideas. So if you don't want the ideas, don't buy the book. Don't listen to my podcast. Don't read my blog. Don't even follow me on Instagram. Don't pay any attention to me, whatever. That's fine. Do your thing. But I do know that there are out there, there are people out there that appreciate the ideas. And whether they say it, some of them say it, some of them don't. I do know that they're appreciated. So they're there. So that's it. Even I'm, my son loves the pod, the podcast, even if he's my only listener, that's fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just like, if you, you can share it and you can put it out there and people might like it, people might not like it, but if you're doing it because you think people are going to like it and like, like for like um, a fame kind of a thing or a success, then I would say, don't do it. But if you legitimately have ideas and your mind is constantly like flowing with ideas and you love your job and you love, you love just the con whatever, just do it. And then people might like it. People might not, but try. Why would you yeah. not hear your ideas? You know? 
Yeah, that's I love your passion right there. You're getting I love it. <laughs> and listen to the podcast because it's easy. It's 15 minutes and it's great stuff because I know I, I hammered it through them all in the last four days. So now I'm ready for oh, you. Thank one. you so <laughs> much. So, you know, your son and I, we're, we're at least two listeners, right? Yeah. Like my son, my son is like, he's, he's very, very, like, he's my biggest fan. My husband too. My husband and my son, my husband was, was there in the room when I recorded my last one on homework. And, um, and I was saying to him, and my husband, actually it was me and my husband and my son, as I said it, and they were quiet while I said it. And then I was like saying, I was going over as I was getting listeners. And I was like, Jim, I was like, did you listen to it? He's like, well, I was there. Like when you said it, like, I'm like, yeah, you can listen to it too, because then I get another listener. <laughs> like, it's all about that, yeah. Sure. But my son, he'll listen to it forever. He's like, he's still, he's still little. He's nine. So he's still like all about mommy. My daughter's That's 13, right. so my daughter's 13, and she's just like, um, yeah, sure, mom. Right. <laughs> I might listen to your podcast one time in this whole entire lifetime. So Yes. Well, at least you know she will at some point. I know you shared them all with us uh, um, at the beginning, but one more time, uh, all the different ways that you can, uh, people can kind of oh, follow you and see your, yep. your parts there. Okay, so my Instagram is Mommy Teacher Fashionista. And my Twitter is Jen Quattrucci. I mean, I think this, the, the heading on top is Mommy Teacher Fashion, but it's at Jen Quattrucci. And that's where I usually am is on Twitter. I find Twitter to be the most inspiring. Um, the tw- I, I participate in a lot of Twitter chats. I, I, I love the engagement there. On Facebook, I'm by my name, Jennifer Lee Quattrucci, but then I have my professional page, mommy teacher fashionista i'm on linkedin as i believe jennifer lee quadrucci um email jen quadrucci at gmail.com so i am so super easy to find so the podcast is engage um educate the heart with jennifer lee quadrucci and my book is educate the heart screen-free activities to inspire authentic learning for grades pre-k to six and that is already available for pre-order everywhere amazon prime today it's five dollars off because it's prime day but it's from roman and Littlefields, and it's uh, available everywhere bond and noble target for pre-order so that's educate the heart and i'm really excited about it but my blog is mommyteacherfashionista.com so yes like everywhere if you can't find Jennifer, you're not trying. That's all I can say. There's really, you know what? There's really no excuse. <laughs> That's right. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for being on the podcast. You did an awesome job. I know you kind of had some reservations a little bit uh, when we I talked so earlier. I'm so, so nervous all day. I'm like at two o'clock, I'm going to be talking on the phone and I'm going to be, you know, I was telling my husband and my son because my daughter's at camp. I'm going to be on the phone and everybody has to be quiet. And I was so nervous all, all like the last couple of hours. I'm like, I don't know what to say. But thank you so much for being so nice. Oh, you're the best. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Threes Company Leadership Podcast. I'd like to thank all of our guests for their appearance on this week's episode. I also want to thank our viewers for their support of this podcast. It's very humbling to see how fast this has grown. Remember, please like and subscribe these podcasts. That helps with sponsorships and everything else. Have a great summer.